Good morning. Thank you so much for investing your time with us today on certified refurbished products, key challenges for manufacturing industry, panel discussion. My name is Dorota Aladdin and I'm Sector Propositions Manager at BSI looking at electrical products. Today I will help facilitate the panel discussion. Before we move on, I just want to make you aware that you have joined this panel discussion mute-only mode. You cannot talk to each other as there's quite a few today. However, we encourage you to send your comments and questions using question box in your control panel at your right, on the right-hand side. We'll try to address them during the discussion or at the end in the Q&A section. Our goal of today's session is to explore refurbishment industry key challenges and address them to help organizations achieve their business objectives. So here's the format to give you an idea of what to expect. First, we'll take a few minutes for each of the panelists to briefly introduce themselves and tell us why circularity is important for them. Then Martin Townsend, our moderator today, will provide us with an introduction to the circular, circular, circularity. In the next section, we'll discuss the main challenges and how those can be addressed, tools that can be used, as well as key drivers for the future. As mentioned before, please send your comments using the text box. We'll finish with the Q&A section. During the panel discussion, we'll run a number of poll questions. Please engage with us we can, so we can better understand the industry and gain your feedback. So please look out for those. On the right-hand side, you can also find hand, handouts. Please download them during the webinar as those will not be available when the, when the session finishes. Uh, in your chat box, you can find contact details for us. If you have any specific questions to our panelists, please email us and we'll pass on the message. That's all for me, and I would like to hand over to our panelists. John, would you like to start? Oh, yeah, my name's John Early. I'm a, the bespoke product development manager for Whitecroft Lighting. Uh, we are an OEM uh, design and manufacture of commercial lighting uh, in the UK, predominantly workspace, education, healthcare sectors. Uh, true circularity has been core to our business strategy and new product development streams for a few years now, with people, planet and profit being core to our values and beliefs. Personally, supporting and influencing uh, change in the customers and the industry is, is important and, and, and being immensely rewarding over the past couple of years. I've just been talking to the guys. So, yeah. Hi, I'm Richard Garrett. Uh, I'm marketing manager for uh, Signify UK and Ireland for the OEM team. So we, my side of the business concentrates on drivers, light sources, sensors, uh, and, and the like. Um, as a brand, as an organisation, we've been uh, focused on uh, sustainability, circularity for a significant period of time. So our, our carbon neutrality journey started um, back. Uh, in around 2011, 2012. Um, in 2020, we announced our carbon neutrality uh, throughout all our operations. So that's not just carbon offsetting, that is uh, uh, carbon neutral operations through, throughout the uh, the entire business globally. Um, and, and that's not sort of a full stop, that's a comma. And we, and we look to grow even further. So circularity is a huge part of the next stage where we see our lighting industry going sort of beyond the product specific specs and uh, and beyond the kind of uh, the sustainable solution what makes it sustainable beyond uh, day one installation brilliant thank you richard steve hi my name is steve haskew uh, from a company called circular computing we are a, a global reverse logistics uh, business uh, specializing in laptop technology uh, we invested in a remanufacturing uh, factory back in 2015 uh, and we believe we're bringing to market the, the only true circular computer that a uh, large business and public sector can, can rely on. 
uh, and I'm fascinated to understand what the the themes are within the, within the, the the talk today. But mainly, circularity for us is about driving the uh, the climate ambition of the globe. Uh, circularity themes and remanufactured products certainly help people achieve that. Um, and aligning the the SDGs 12 and 13 for us to kind of core to our DNA. So yeah, I'm looking forward. Thank you. Brilliant. First first person to mention the UN SDGs as well. Brilliant. Arif. <laughs> Yeah, hi, hi everybody. Yes, my name is Arif. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a business called Click. Um, you know, we're a sustainable technology provider to business. Um, you know, and our job really is to explain to mostly small and medium-sized businesses what circularity is um, and how they can adopt it in their business. And you know, we kind of really try to break it down in terms of you know the main message is you don't need to buy new, especially in business where you know, everybody doesn't need the latest and the greatest and the latest and the greatest isn't necessarily the latest and the greatest as well. It's just explaining that and explaining that, you know, firstly, look to kind of renew and upgrade your current kit. Um, you might just need a simple upgrade to make it work or even just, you know, a clean inside. Um, the second thing is obviously, you know, refurbished products. Um, you know, you don't need to be buying the, the newest laptop and actually the newest laptop might actually be three years old itself anyway. Um, and the third thing is obviously what we call our buyback service to say that your old kit, um, you know, we can buy that back, refurbish that. And also we work with a number of charities too to donate, you know, end of life stuff that isn't, you know, appropriate to business. So really our circularity is what we try to explain to businesses on a day to day basis and how they can really embrace that. And in all honesty, the message also is that they're going to have to embrace that because legislation is coming down the line where they will have no choice so better to do it now better to you know be one of the um the, the flag bearers um yeah so that's what we're all about brilliant i can see we're gonna have a great conversation today because lots of ideas coming to the surface already gary um over to you uh good morning everybody gary griffiths i work for tesam they're a singapore based company but we have four facilities in the uk and according to a Gartner report earlier this year, we're the largest IT asset disposition company in the world at the moment, uh, processing more than 3 million items a year. Uh, the company is involved in a broad range of activities which come under the circular economy umbrella. The ITAD work is used equipment, data sanitizing and preparing it for reuse, but, but also items that cannot be reused and we, we like to say that we're the, the paramedics in the cradle degree of life journey of IT. Uh, we will attempt to reuse as much as we can, recover the components and if not then we'll recycle the materials. And TES has specialist recycling facilities in various parts of the world including lithium-ion batteries where we can now say that we're taking used lithium-ion batteries, recycling them and putting the uh, some of the materials back into manufacturing new batteries. So, uh, and the good thing is that we've learned that we can do this as a business that is profitable. So we're proving that green business can be good business. Fantastic. Lots of great comments and ideas already, but um, let's finish with the introductions. Uh, Mustanir. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mustanir. I'm a certification manager at BSI. So coming from the BSI side, um, mainly focusing on product certification, so um, consumer goods, electrical goods, um, also appliances of various types. Um, really, I'm coming at this um, from a long history of certifying products in a world where certification tends to focus on new products. And there's been a gap in terms of 
offering certification to address the problems for circularity, remanufacturing, reconditioning. So really, I'm here to sort of shed some technical light on things in terms of the standards and also hear about the challenges as well and look forward to seeing how we can sort of better address the goals and challenges of circularity. Fantastic. So um, for all those listening, you will hear from those introductions. We have a great panel uh, today. Uh, my role really is this sort of to to challenge them and to kind of take any questions you have and make sure that out of this conversation over the hour or so, um, to make sure we you get some experience and some ideas as well. So I probably need to introduce myself. So I'm Martin Townsend. Uh, I am the Global Head of Sustainability and Circularity at BSI. Uh, prior to joining uh, BSI, um, I think I've probably worked in all the various different sort of shades of uh, the sector. So I've worked as a policy, a government policy advisor, uh, advising ministers directly on government policy. Um, I've worked as a regulator, so I worked for the Environment Agency. Uh, I've worked in academia, um, and now I find myself in a very fortunate position to be at BSI. So uh, I've come to this conversation, I suppose, uh, with various different hats and hopefully can make sure that we get as much as we can out of this conversation. So I'm going to go to the first poll question because I think it'd be really good just to kind of make sure that everybody who's listening um, starts to kind of provide a, a view or so. And, and, and the first question really is to um, understand who you are um, in terms of what describes your position. And that hopefully could give us a, a bit of an idea uh, in terms of who's actually on the call. Um, and while that poll question is sort of um, being voted on panel, um, what, what, what are your thoughts in terms of the biggest drivers here? Do you think this is going to be a push or pull uh, in terms of the people on this call? Do you think it's going to be um, procurement pushing the need for circularity or do you think it's a pull from um, product manufacturers? What do people think? I personally think that the procurement teams Kind of want an easy life they're obviously especially in the public sector very regulated um the, the bigger the procurement the more complex the the definitions around remanufacturing and refurbishing probably are the biggest barrier for, for the procurer so if you're a consumer buyer likely it'll be down to to cost i would think so it depends on the on the, on the market we're addressing here martin yeah good point good point Ooh, and there was I concur. The, the procurement teams are, are hardwired to drive for the lowest cost, so it's 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 not in their interest for the, the longevity of products. Uh, I've, I've had numerous conversations with these guys where it will be we offer uh, regenerative vitality solutions, uh, and but the challenge is, well, why would I want to pay more for that product when I can get, say, buy two products from China? Um, and and there lays the problem is that mindset in which they they think about. Um, carbon saving is it's, it's short term uh, in use carbon rather than the long term embedded carbon saving that, that could get on. So, yeah, that's generally my, my view from the procurement side of things. Do you think that, and there's me straight away going off the, the questions that we kind of we shared in the last, but um, do you think that's one of the barriers here that we need to make sure that we look at the whole life cost of products rather than just the purchase price? Is that is that one of the issues that we need to get our heads around? That's definitely one of the issues, and I think that's where, you know, um, a different kind of accounting comes in. You know, um, uh, you know, and uh, social accounting and environmental accounting, and I think that's a change we really see in terms of legislation, in terms of accounting standards. So businesses are not only held to account for 
you know, their, their profits and their losses, but also the, you know, the externalities of their businesses too. And, you know, I think we, you know, everybody has an opinion on the role of government in, in business and in society. Um, but I think that some standards around measuring this are needed and some legislation is needed as well to, to you know, kind of force the hand of businesses to take ownership. So, you know, I think that that will be needed um, going forward. Brilliant. I did so hear just... a story actually about uh, what somebody in, in central government higher was having a conversation with one of the OEMs and, and, and they said, when are you going to become more circular? And the OEM said, when you start demanding it from us. <laughs> so, <laughs> So there'd be a matter of fact, really. Yes. So just to let you know the result from the poll, um, 20, 26% of the people on the call sort of um, are refurbishers, 9% uh, private buyers, 4% entering the market. Um, and I think a lot of the other people are, are in the other category. Um, so we've got a very a diverse group of people on this call, I suppose, uh, which is yeah. good to see. But I think this conversation about you know how we may need or how we need to ensure that we see um, a different way of accounting for this i think is important because i think if we're going to drive change it is about seeing whole life costs and i think that's going to be a real important kind of message that maybe we need to give back to government as a result of this um, of, of this sort of you know round table debate um, i'm going to i'm going to move to the next poll question um, and when i do um, I was very inspired by the conversation that we had before our listeners dropped in. Um, and I'm just going to just share a few thoughts, I suppose, in terms of um, answering two questions, which is why is sustainability and circularity important now? And I think also um, in that same um, respect, how do we make this stick? So picking up the point that we were just having a few seconds ago about we need to see this in, in um, lifetime costs. I think we need to make sure that as we kind of, you know, go forward, we have two answers to that. We have answers to the questions about why is circularity important and how do we make it stick? I think the first thing for me to try and answer those questions are if we go back to 2017, um, the government undertook a fairly comprehensive um, review of macroeconomic risks. And the biggest uh, issue on that risk register by far was the fact that we would have a pandemic. Yet um, we all know that we were all surprised and confused by the fact that we did have a pandemic. And the reason I mention that is I think that's a learning point around sustainability and circularity. Uh, we know we're consuming more resources. We know that our resources um, you know, have a limit to them. And effectively, we're going to have a decarbonized um, which is you know um, the Paris Agreement and, and the targets that are being set, we need to drive that change. And then the, the other point which came out of our, our, our warm-up while we were logging in um, um, ahead of the sort of our listeners joining us was um, citizens' research. So when it comes to citizens' research, I think our consumers are more powerful, more connected than they ever have been before. And when we start to look, and, and I think Arif and John were mentioning this, is that if we look at Generation Z and Generation Alpha, um, Generation Z have um, basically lived in a world where there's only been a call for uh, a sustainable world. So in terms of climate risk and climate crisis, and also they are more wedded now to brands than they ever have been before. So in essence, 
making sure that we respond to that, I think, is important. Um, and I think I think my final point is um, we're in this space now, I suppose, in terms of a new macroeconomic age. And if we start to look forward in terms of the fourth industrial revolution, we need to make sure that we use um, track and trace and blockchain to best advantage around this conversation around circularity as well. So while I've been talking, the results of the poll or the second poll are in. And I think this is going to be a really important one for now us to debate. Um, the people on the call have said when it comes to concerns we're dealing with refurbished products, 30% think the issue is quality, 40% people think it's reliability, and 30% think it's a lack of warranty. So it's the three, it's quality, reliability, and lack of warranty, which are concerning the listeners on this call. So that is a healthy one to have a debate about. Who wants to kind of push back against some of those kind of ideas that those are the main barriers? I think they are the main barriers. I think people can't determine, if, if, you, if you look at a, a typical asset, like I'll just talk about laptops, a mobile product, each laptop is different, has a different pre-life than the, than the next one. So to create a steady state of, of, a, of a grading environment, is it near on impossible for the buyer? It's a, it's a seller's market. The buyer takes all the risk without knowing it. If you go to eBay or whatever, they're taking all the risk and upon which then they will make a price point decision based on what they think their risk is. So to what we what we did to, to eliminate these, these, these issues is we created a remanufactured device, which, which in the hierarchy of reuse sits next to new. It kind of bridges the, the divide between where the, 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 the really busy sort of secondhand market is and where the new market is. It kind of bridges that gap. Um, but you're right, it's the perception that, that second use is second best. Uh, and I think that the, the reseller needs to, to up its game a little bit when it comes to the quality. Once you ask the customer to take a compromised position, they're never going to trust, not, not the brand, they just won't trust anything but new. Yeah, and so that that's our biggest challenge. But and I think the, the point that we make is that you know even new products have can have problems, right? It's not just you know any any piece of tech will have, can have a problem. So you know we kind of solve that with you know firstly the warranty, but I think you know and and obviously we're in a unique position where we work with businesses, so we tend to have a longer term relationship rather than a one off sale basically. And and we we solved the problem with with a warranty and also the you know and I, I saw the poll but for me warranty and after sale service are one and the same thing basically you know there's no good having a, no good having a warranty where when anybody tries to use the warranty you make it as difficult as possible basically you know I feel in in our in our industry we need to go above and beyond in terms of the warranty actually be more helpful um, you know even when you know it might. A, an unrelated problem so you know often it's a software problem for example on laptops or you know but you know so we try to go above and beyond and say to the customer okay well any problems that you have come to us we want to make sure that you are happy 100% happy with your device and if you're not we will fix it or we will fix the problem not necessarily fix the device until you are happy and I think that's then the, the feeling that you know yes you are buying something which is which is refurbished but you know that you're not taking any risk as a business because you know just like a new product you won't you know you you will get you it will, it will be made to work for you you won't be left with something that doesn't work and, and that's the way that we try to deal with that problem yeah is that is that almost building on the point that we talked about right at the start which is 
we're moving from a service economy to an experience economy. How do we get the customers to see this as not just product buying, but experience buying and actually a refurbished product is actually can be an experience because you can maybe have a better experience in terms of the support you might get? So I can help. In the past, we've had uh, it's an opportunity, isn't it? We 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 see this as a challenge. We say, um, <clears throat> oh, we're, you know, we've got a brand new product that uh, I'll, I'll speak live. We've got a brand new product in in the ceiling. It's got a wonderful life. It's got a you know, we calculate things in the lighting industry in hours. Generally, it's a fifty thousand hour lifetime. Fantastic. And and then we go, oh gosh, now we've got to do something with it. But actually, that opportunity is it, it, it is there. There's an entire arm of the business. So if if in the past, you work from a product perspective. So I sell a product into the market and I give it a warranty and everything. Suddenly, you've got a massive opportunity for services that has never been there before. So you say, here's your product. On top of that, it's five pound for your product. On top of that, you pay a pound a month or a pound a quarter or whatever, whatever, whatever you want. And that is your, your instead of paying, spending that on an extended warranty, that is your refurb. So when we've got technology now with kind of digital twin technology in so many areas of the business, we can start having these predictive maintenance discussions and say, right, well, our arm of the business will now look after that and say it has actually come to its natural end of life. Um, we now have all the data that we need to know exactly what component that is, or if not exactly, pretty much roughly what component that is that's going to be required. So a single site visit, off you go and, and you train up that team. To, to to reconfigure and re, re, readdress and reupholster whatever that product may or may not be. Um, and that's that's an opportunity. We're not there yet, absolutely. We're, you know, there aren't that many organizations that I'm aware of that offer that secondary service. But where we say, uh, uh, where we talk about the importance of, you know, why sustainability important today was one of the one of the comments that came up. Actually, it's not important today. It's essential today. It was important 10 years ago. It's, it's essential today. So when now we're talking about the, you know, the reupholstering of, of products and that being important today, actually, we need to, we need to fast track that and we need to take advantage of those opportunities and build parts of our business that can that can respond in the way that we are that we're talking about today. Brilliant. Gary, I know you wanted to say something. Yeah, there's a point that um, I found I recall data from the past that reused IT after being prepared for reuse had a lower return rate than new equipment because the if items are launched on the market they tend to go wrong electronics within the first three months so we are uh, in the refurbishment industry as an it asset disposition company we are seeing equipment that's normally more than three months old so if they're going to go wrong and it's normally a component failure that'll be swapped out and made as good as new we we see them after that and after testing and refurbishing the rate was um, we were aiming for a maximum of four percent and we we halved that but to reassure customers, I think it's useful to look at what um, is happening in terms of providing them with reassurance that the process has been independently assessed. And that's where the BSI refurbished kite mark, I think, is a positive move in that area. It builds upon my experience. I tried this with a previous publicly available specification called PAS 141, which is brought in to do just this, but also to help overcome the barriers we have when exporting equipment across borders because of the concerns that many governments have that used equipment is actually waste being disposed of illegally. So having a certified reassurance campaign through a, some form of kite mark by an independent assessment body, that means that we can both reassure customers that want to buy refurbished equipment that it has been through a process, it will work as stipulated, but also it'll 
uh, helps differentiate the bona fide reuse organizations from those who are trying to dump equipment overseas, as is evidenced in horror stories and films from Ghana, Pakistan, and China. So I welcome the BSI efforts in here, and I, I, my company will be moving towards the, using the BSI refurbished car mark and getting certification to reassure our customers. Gary, music to my ears. I'm sure it is to, to my ears. Do you want to say something as well in terms of your technical perspective, in terms of knowledge of the standard as well? Um, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, the, 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 the standard that um, we're using is, is BS887, if anyone is familiar. Um, and it speaks exactly to that, to that process of how do you get from that, I'm not going to say waste, but that used product, that end of life product potentially, to back to where it wants to be, that remanufactured, that as good as new place. And it's all about the process and the necessary steps that should be taken and what's understood as best practice to getting from A to B effectively. Um, because it, it, it would be possible for an organization to take shortcuts or not supply that process. And then ultimately that's always the goal of any certification to assure someone, a, a, a stakeholder, that something is being done according to best practice. Brilliant. The, the, so I, just say that working, I sit on the 7 steering committee, which is called TDW4, I have done for a number of years. And one of the things that, that sitting on, if you like, if you, if you think of uh, BSI's academic side and then there's industry side, what, what actually goes on, I think it's, 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 inter it's, it's interesting for BSI to recognise that trying to have a one-shoe-fits-all environment where there's actually the land of second hand is really chaotic. It operates in the completely opposite way to the land of new. You can't get credit. It's cash up front. It's buy everywhere. It's all of the all of the above, where the other side is nice and shiny and glitzy and gleamy. But I think it's for industry in the land of second hand, let's, let's call it that, to recognise that the BSI is trying to do, is trying to provide a matrix that makes the level playing field that's right for the buyer. And going back to what I said before, is if the buyers are asking for a product from a sustainability foothold first, so the first question is, can I buy a sustainable solution and what does it mean to me? The second question is, am I prepared to compromise? And then, you know, if you look at, say, BS seven and the kite mark, then, you know, you consider that the, the term remanufacturing is equal to or better than new with an equal to or better than new warranty. So yeah. to get to that product standard requires a huge investment of, of time, scientific manpower uh, and resource to make sure that the customer gets what they want. When they say I want to buy a remanufactured device, they get just that within a framework. If they want refurbished, then they get just that. They know what, they, they know what they're buying and letting themselves in for. And if they want to buy new, they're not going to get sustainability. Yeah. Or they'll, they'll get linearity. Can I, can I throw a question into the mix here? Because I like the way you describe this, the, the land of the new and the shiny and the land of the, of the kind of the second hand. Does there need to be a bridge between those processes in terms of making sure designers design new, well, yeah, new products so they can be refurbished? So effectively, it's easier to make that bridge between something that is new and something that is old. And so it opens up the market in a much easier way because... Uh, products have been designed to be refurbished rather than actually just locked down. What, what do people think? John, go on, I guess John. Absolutely, absolutely, that is core to our principles in our new product development streams, and it, and it ties in with the long-term solutions that you talk about, Martin. 
about ensuring that our products are sustainable and can be refurbished over and over again. But it's about getting that um, customer interaction, getting the buy-in and, and, and offering the solutions on the table. So we have products that we can uh, we, we sell as a uh, sustainable source of product solutions that are uh, can, as a cartridge solution that can be replaced over and over again. So we would supply a one-off product working with that client, we could return that product, refurbish it using exactly the same materials. Obviously, there's a there's a small amount of discardation in terms of some of the electrical components, which are not at that uh, regenerative stage. But then we would, for, for what is 90% of that product, then put that back into the field. Uh, but more importantly, just making sure that the, the quality of that products, uh, in our case, the light output meeting the client's specifications because specifications do change as well over time so it's having the ability to upgrade and make them products uh, suitable for the marketplace at that given time so because uh, things evolve um, yeah we, it's it's immensely important that we can upgrade and improve products over the years whilst using the same materials and using that embedded carbon brilliant brilliant does anybody else want to come back to that additional question i threw at you yeah, I mean, um, we, we've got a, we've got a great partnership with an organisation called Recolite, uh, and, and they're a re recycling uh, arm of the lighting industry. So they're, they're, they're I'm doing a promotion of a bit for them here, aren't I? But they'll go to site, they'll, they'll take away all the uh, uh, all the site waste, and, the, and they'll recycle it. And what they've seen is a huge increase in LED light bulbs, for example. So quite a humble product, but the sheer volume of different form factors sizes glued together using any anything that they can to, to sort of to, to manufacture this light bulb that inevitably blows up and disappears in uh, into obsolescence far quicker than it was designed to and where there is no standardization of modular design it's becoming very 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 hard for these recycling companies to disassemble these products and, and make any sort of recycling case so we need to get to a point where Landfill isn't an option. Recycling is worst case scenario. And actually, recycling is very, very easy to do. So when we look at organisations uh, such as Lighting Europe and they, their recommendations for disassembly to be part of that design process, as well as the modularity, we need to get to a place where if we are going to go down this route of, uh, of refurbishing on mass scale, so uh, light fixtures is, is, is where we are. So uh, going to sites, uh, and, and replacing all the the, uh, the the necessary parts that have to be replaced and recycling what we can and, and reupholstering what we can, then we need to we need to make sure that that, that whole process beyond uh, uh, refurbishment into recycling is, is as straightforward and simple as possible. We're not throwing away recyclable components when actually the only reason they're not recyclable is because of um, the design element not taking that into account at the front end. Yep, Gary, I can see you've been very polite. You put your hand up. Yeah, just to build on what Richard was saying, uh, several years ago, I was asked to give a talk to a, a client's design team, uh, design engineers, um, because I was involved in the recycling of their used equipment and materials. And I said some simple guidelines for them on how to design for recycling. And simple ideas like don't use glues uh, and solder, use clips and, fix and, and screws. Uh, try to design any material so you, you're making a homogeneous use of the different materials. In other words, choose one plastic rather than half a dozen we find in some products and, and design for disassembly so people can get in there and take parts up, replace components with new and extend the life. 
and the, the guy turned to the room full of engineers and said, okay, guys, why aren't you doing that? And the answer came back, nobody's ever asked us to. People in, in design teams, they tend to work in design cells on a particular component. Uh, and it's changing the the concept of design. So you're building in a new unitary model and it can be done. So yeah. that's where design for reuse and design for environment can achieve things. And I can give you an example where um, I used to work with BT and we recycled telephones. And one telephone made in the UK had four screws in the base. And to take those out and the the, rev, the value we'd get from the recycled plastics and componentry made it profitable. Yeah. Similar model of phone built in the, in the far east. For some reason, it had a dozen screws in. And the, ta- the extra time taken to dismantle that product made it uneconomic to recycle. So, yeah. so design for reuse, design for dismantling, simple fixes, but it needs to be taught at, at, at school level and through the, the high schools. And <coughs> against guidance and standards, all will help. So, so I was going to say, one of the big problems there is that the, you know, manufacturers want you to buy new devices that's how they make money basically you know and that's what we're always pushing against you know in an ideal world they don't really want you to refurbish their product but you know but in in some ways if that refurbishment process um can also work with the manufacturers too that makes sense and they're not they don't feel like they're losing out from people buying new products uh, so people buying new products so you know again that's where legislation comes in things like you right to repair etc etc but, you know, there is there is this push that, you know, Apple, Samsung, they want you to buy a new Mac, but they want you to buy a new phone. That's how they make money. So, you know, there, there does need to be a rethink of the commercial model as well. So, you know, they're not making it harder for refurbishers to resell their products because, you know, the reality is that, you know, if I resell an, uh, an Apple MacBook, Apple don't make any money out of that. And, and maybe that's somebody that didn't buy a new Apple MacBook. So, you know, those those kind of commercial pushes and pulls need to be solved too. So I, think, I, think I'm hearing, I think I'm hearing from the OEMs that the 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 push is towards clo- closed loop materials. So they you know they, they can't move the, the, the stick from naught to hundred overnight. It's, it's gonna take you know a decade or, or or something like that. So they're 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 investing in clo- closed loop uh, production, changing their design things, but for me personally uh, like Richard was saying, you know, we need to kind of not wait and, and, and use 2030 as a long stop. So we've got to use 2021 as a, as, let's get, the, the solutions already exist. They might not be the perfect solution, but we've got to be included as part of the solution to enable bigger industry players to learn from what we've learned. Yeah. So can I just throw another kind of thought into the conversation? Um, and this comes back to, I think John and Arifa and I were talking just before the call started. What's the role of the consumer in this in terms of them wanting to see products to be sustainable? So that, you know, if they wedded themselves to a brand which is about sustainability, that it has been recycled, it has been repurposed. Do you think consumers will change the Apples, the Samsungs of this world because actually they don't see their the way they produce their products is sustainable. Do you think that's going to be a big driver? I think that's the only driver. Okay. That, that's on, money. I think, I think refurbish isn't new to the industry, is it? I mean, from a lighting perspective, we've been doing refurbished uh, T8 to T5 luminaires uh, for, for probably 17 years probably now, and uh, T5 to LED, then even LED to LED. Uh, and over the years, it's been all about cost-driven 
exercise to improve efficacy, reduce cost of install. The mindset is changing now. So the, the principle is the same, but it, it's more about actually what's the sustainable value of that and how can we change the mindset of, of the clients and the specifiers of the world to try and influence in that. And I, and I think we've already touched on it. There is a lack of transparency and standardization uh, within within the in the industry that is it is kind of promoting an element of greenwashing within the industry uh, because of that lack of knowledge and understanding. I know, I know the LIA and other like associations that we're pulling together what is a, essentially a standardization, but that, that greenwashing uh, and lack of training and knowledge is having a, a direct impact on, on the industry. And uh, for, I give a for instance, um, we know the government is trying to get a net zero by either 2030, 2050 and, and, and decarbonization program over their estate is a great idea um, and it's a focal uh, a drive to reduce the in-use carbon. But also, uh, the, all they're concerned about is just a replace, point for point replacement. And there is there's no long-term thought process in terms of uh, the, the long-term sustainability. Um, and that's absolutely what they should be doing. They should be considering the best circular design as, as Richard was su suggesting earlier. Uh, to reduce that carbon footprint and increase the through life utility, um, that there is absolutely no consideration to any of that, and that and that's at the highest level. Um, yeah. We've got to change that mindset, and 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 that's I think the one is the biggest challenge, um, more than anything. That's a that, I, I think that's the reason why we see 2050 as as targets. It's not it's not the ability to change. Um, I, I've come from a product marketing background and everyone's been shouting at me nonstop for a new product innovation, something we can tangibly hold in our hands and say, oh, look, this is nice and shiny and new. When you start uh, talking about uh, evolution of mindsets, which is what sustainability is at the moment, we see a much longer uh, launch. We see a much longer uh, requirement for the market to, to adopt that innovation. And, um, you know, we, we've seen cynicism uh, some of the most obvious cynicisms that we've seen in the climate change deniers and, and it still it still exists and, and that's cultural as well uh, so, so, so different areas of the globe will will, will uh, onboard these new trains of thoughts at, at different paces so I think part of the reason why we see 2050 is a you know is, is a flag in the sand um, is largely because it takes time for people to change their minds even we've got to be a bit open this is human psychology we've got to be a little bit open we're actually very hypocritical unintentionally so we have a lot a lot of good positive will in the world but I, I'm wearing a recycled this this is made out of recycled uh, um, bottles uh, I, I've stopped using some of the traditional detergents and I use some more sustainable versions um, but I drive a petrol car and uh, and uh, when, when I when I had a bit of a refurb my uh, we found a problem with my solar panels and so it cost an extra 10 grand to get that fixed and I didn't do it and and, and it's these are the things that we have to I, I think we have to embrace and understand and then work individually to uh, to, to, to know where our faults are and know that actually perfection doesn't necessarily exist. But what we can do is that 1% better every day. And I think if we aim for that, then, then, then maybe 2050 becomes a little bit closer towards 2040 and 2030 and maybe even sooner. So let me build on something that Richard and John have both said. So if we look to the future, which is always a good sort of thing to do, you know, we're in 2040, we're in 2050. Do we actually see that we will be a service economy so that when people are buying lighting 
or buying a laptop. They're buying a service. And when a better product is available, they actually that product gets replaced. And so you're constantly um, ensuring that your impact is lessened because the service you're buying is actually one that's delivering what you need. So it's a conversation we started to touch upon, I suppose, that you know, you don't buy a lighting solution, you don't buy an HVAC solution, you don't buy a computing solution, you buy the service against a number of metrics. So if I want a computing speed or I want a set amount of light in an office building at a set time, that's what I'm buying. And the service provider, based on circularity, is providing that to you in the most efficient way. And so that if there's a better lighting system, which is more efficient, you know, at some point they will come into your building, they will take out the old and put in the new. Knowing how that original product was produced, they will repurpose it, they will remake it and bring it back into somebody else's business. Is that where you think we're heading? I think so for business, yeah, for business, certainly, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think business is the first one that, you know, that will, can adopt that, you know, certainly from a, you know, from a facilities point of view, you know, if you're, a, you know, a landlord, then, you know, that makes sense for you. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fixed cost, right? There's no uncertainty from a, you know, from a computing point of view as a, as a business, again, you know, you're, you're, al you're aligning your, you know, your IT costs with, um, you know, your, your business costs. So I think business is absolutely 100%. And, and also, you know, it, we, you know, we're, businesses are already there in some ways because, you know, businesses lease products, basically, you know, and it's one of the services that we offer as well. And you kind of have a, um, a, a replacement lease where, you know, every three years or something, the, the kit's refreshed. So I think, yeah, businesses, business is already getting there, um, you know, and, and as you said, as we were saying before, you know, consumers are now more, you know, more willing to, to buy, um, to, to, to consume in that way as well. I think it's important that it doesn't end up being a, a new product that you get every every three years or, or something, or, or, or even if it is, then, you know, there is a second life process that happens after that, that's getting used. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly for business, I think we're, 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 we can get there a lot sooner than, you know, than 2014. Gary, just, you uh, to, 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 to add to what Arif said, I think it's, it's, it's right that we're seeing a new business paradigm emerging. And I, I've seen it emerge over the years, going back from, um, when OEMs originally didn't like the reuse of their product because of the risk of damage to their name, good name and reputation by people who weren't trained in the maintenance and repair. Uh, and I actually heard one manufa uh, manufacturer's representative say that they were worried that their um, maintenance engineers risked ele electrical shock from poorly maintained products, and therefore they preferred to see them destroyed by mechanical recycling. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what BMW do with all their cars. Um, of course, they don't. Um, but but it, it is an issue that we've proven to many companies that they can reuse their products. And because of the revenue they get, they're actually enthusiastic towards it because they can then get a second income, sometimes a third if we remarket the products. And not just the manufacturers, but the users have them as well. And so by changing the paradigm so that uh, if we're selling on, they get a large share of the retail pricing from that. That's encouraging people to participate. And by doing that, we've turned it around so that manufacturers um, and users are now getting additional income that can then fund other schemes and products as well. Um, and if that does happen, the, the model of people are buying service models that includes 
equipment. Part of that will be that the, the company providing the new service will want to see that equipment remarketed to generate revenue, even if it flows down to the next person in the value chain. Uh, yeah. And then it could have a second, sometimes a third life even. And we've seen that because we track items by serial number, we've seen the same item come back three, even four times an occasion, um, depending upon the, the how soon the users want to change. And it's given access to, certainly to IT tech and technology, particularly in developing countries, they can't afford new. And by doing that, uh, we've had arguments originally with them, one manufacturer, I recall. But when we said, hang on, we've, int- we've opened up markets in this country, they like your equipment, can you guys go in and sell new? So the, the, we were selling to wholesalers who were saying, we'd love to buy new now, we've established that people like the equipment. And so rather than inhibiting their sales to those countries, we were actually enabling them. And this is where, as I say, the sustainability model of reuse and the circularity can achieve fundamental changes in the way that we think about products and markets. And it proves, again, as I said before, green business can be good business. And that's what will drive the change. I think that's a really important point there, Gary, in terms of what people are seeing. And I think it was a point raised by somebody is that, you know, is this going to actually um, cut off their existing business model? Well, it might do, but actually there are new business models here that people need to adapt to, which could be equally successful. So if we go back to the conversation we just had about, you know, it's a service that is about a regular income stream rather than a lumpy income stream in terms of selling a product and 10 years later you sell another product. Whereas if you're selling a service, and I think Richard mentioned it, you know, it's about a constant income stream, which actually could be a better business model. John, I know you wanted to come in. No, absolutely, and we've we've experienced that firsthand recently. We, we've um, we've we've developed that service with our clients. We've recently installed a number of luminaires within a warehouse um, as a as a as a as a, as a cat a fit out. And when the client moved in, that the, there was a change around to the to the building. So the client, uh, we offered the service. If there's any changes or upgrades needed, they can bring them back to Whitecroft. We can then re re refurbish or remanufacture those components and bring them back to site we're already experiencing that so uh, in terms the, the client wanted to change the lens and the orientation so they brought that back to whitecroft we we re-edited the, the lens technology uh, we refurbished we then uh, re-warranted that product and sent it back to site uh, for a fraction of the cost of what it would be to, to go and replace that product and put the other product in the bin so and, and as far as 2040 you're talking about that uh, from what richard's suggesting earlier we've got the technology around us now to monitor uh, products life cycle in the industry it's about getting the clients to, to invest in the internet of things and the software um, to utilize that information and, and report back and allow us to to get involved and provide that service and long-term longevity with clients so it's, it's just it's a, a going back to the mindset and getting clients and the investment uh, the technology is there it's just got to be used and specified quite frankly um, but we are we are starting to see it come through slowly. I think John's right. You know, is it's building building the trust. You go back to the consumer. You know, if there's no pull on the from the from the consumer, then you can build it and they come. It isn't gonna isn't gonna stand water. Everybody in this room has built something remarkable, waiting for the consumer to pull, and it's a very edgy edgy part of the, the design of a business because you, you you're waiting and you know you're right. It's just a case of time. So the, the question is, how quickly can we build that uh, consumer trust between now and whenever in the future? 
and how do we accelerate that transition that brings it closer to us? And, and drivers from government, uh, organisations like BSI, you know, having, having thought leaders in their own field like the team here, are the things that are going to make that education piece so vital. Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely. That incentivization is key. So, but we, we as manufacturers can offer those solutions to, to push that and, and make that happen sooner. Brilliant. Thank you. I'm very mindful of time. I'm also very mindful we had two extra poll questions, which I've completely ignored because the conversation was so good. I really do mean it was so good. I think we've actually answered those poll questions, but we do have some questions coming in. But before I pass back um, to uh, Dorota in terms of getting those questions posed, let me just go around the room once and actually ask the question, if you were giving one piece of advice to the listeners on this um, roundtable webinar, whatever we want to call it, what's the one piece of advice you would give to them in terms of this agenda? So um, in no particular order, John, do you want to go first? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be saying pretty much what I've just said. I, I think bigger. I think as manufacturers, we can make a difference. We don't need to wait for um, industry standards to, to push. Obviously, that's going to help. But um, develop products with longer life cycles and stepping up and doing the right thing even when it's when no one's looking i think that's the message brilliant harry well, i would say you know kind of be, be careful what you buy um you know uh you know we're promoting the, the refurbished world but you know don't you know there are sellers on ebay etc who don't use the right parts so go to a reputable company understand what your warranty gives you understand what that company's doing um you know you you know, we, yeah, I mean, be careful where you buy from. Brilliant. Gary? I'd say if you're considering getting involved in a circular economy product or service consideration, this is a new business paradigm. It's it's relatively new. Most of what we talked about today in the 1980s was um, academic theory. Now we're seeing it come into practice. So talk to the people who are trailblazing in this area, like the guys on this call, uh, who were tried and making a success of circular economy. You don't have to use the services, but you know, uh, talk is uh, cheap and you can learn, share the experiences and apply that. And then hopefully avoid the mistakes of the past and, and make a success of this in the future. Good advice. Steve, what's your one piece uh, of I think, I think for me, circularity being a theme within sustainability, try and make sense of what sustainability means to you as a person. Uh, what does it mean to your organisation if you work there? And then how you can wrap circularity into into your uh, into your offering or into your or into your your consumption. And like Gary said, a lot of the questions have likely been answered, uh, not all of them, but but likely been answered. And, and the guys on on this call today will be you know advocates of what those things look like. And one thing I've learned about the the land of sustainability is, so long as you're genuine in your in your ambition to try and do better tomorrow. There's loads of people around that will, will help you and give you a leg up when, when the chips are not going your way. Brilliant. That's good advice. Mr. Nair, what's your piece of advice? I mean, to echo what's already been said, really, I think it's, um, you know, understand you know, what it is that you're doing, what it is that you want to do, and then get the help to ensure that you're going to what's, what we would call best practice, um, recycling, remanufacturing, refurbishing, all these terms can be a bit of a wild west. And it's it's about you know going for that best practice and 
you know, because because that will benefit everyone, you know, from, from ourselves to our, our stakeholders, consumers, buyers, whoever. Brilliant. Thank you. Richard. Um, if this subject is new to you, uh, partnerships, communities, um, there are people leading the way. Um, we, we mentioned, maybe not in enough detail, but the UN SDGs, for example. Um, if, if this is new, it's a daunting thing. This is this is new. Sustainability is enormous. We're just talking about electronics, for goodness sake, not, not let alone other industries. It's enormous. It can be daunting. Um, don't try and do it on your own. Uh, try and team up. Try and create these communities. Try, try and build each other uh, uh, because we're all aiming in the same direction. Brilliant. I think there's a bit of a common thread here in terms of listen to people, work with people, you know, engage people. Brilliant. Doretta, over to you in terms of questions. I know people have been throwing questions at you. Do you want to share some of those with the team here? Yeah, sure. Thank you very much, Martin, and everyone. So let's move on. Uh, question number one. Uh, CA and UKCA marking requirements. Maybe mostly I can handle that question. Yeah, this, this is actually a very tricky and um, meaty subject. Um, it's something that over the years, various bodies, the EU Commission's been grappling with, and there's no, I'd say, clear answers. Um, the, the legislations around CE marking and now for the UK, the UKCA marking, don't really address the issue very explicitly. They, they speak to new products and specifically the wording is products when they're first placed on the market um, whatever that means so there, there, there's a lot of debate around for example if a product has already existed on the market come to an end of life and then goes through a remanufacturing process is it now a new product being placed back on the market or is it the same used product going back on the market and that, that will have an impact on who's responsible for doing what so it's a bit of a fuzzy answer to a very big question that could be a talk in itself um but there is guidance from some of the sectors so you look at the uk hsc has published some guidance specifically around um, single-use medical devices and the refurbishing of those and also around machinery and what seems to be the common theme is that where a product is being remanufactured being placed back on the market with a new identity effectively as being new, then the remanufacturing organization ultimately has to take on that CE marking, UKCMRC marking responsibility. That's the common thread. But like I say, that the legislation doesn't speak to it very explicitly. Thank you very much. Uh, next question. What are the key challenges you come across when dealing with procurement and how you overcome those? Can I can pick that up? Yeah, thank you. So the way the way that we do it, um, I lean into the public sector. We we lean into BS triple eight seven, and we'll be looking at the kite mark as, as an example of, of allowing procurers to not be at risk. They don't know how to ask for anything that don't, they don't know how to ask for. So they, in procurement terms, they don't know how to ask for anything but new. You know that the 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 path is is set. They want to do things the right way. But they, from a legislation, legislation point of view, they don't have the tools available to them. So, you know, the IT guy will be saying, you know, I specify the IT, the procurer will be going, OK, I'm going to go to a, a fair procurement. And the, the two aren't aligned. So the, the downward, and I see this year being, a, being a, like, a, like a, a really strong year with COP26 being the driver. So there'll be downward pressure to change those procurement practices in, in, internally. 
I guess it comes from um, uh, pretty much Steve's point, to be honest. It comes to the you know the key performance indicators for those people in in that role. And if your business is truly a sustainable business, then procurement won't just be about getting the spec ticked to the cheapest price. Um, if you're really authentically living and breathing a sustainability in a circular story, then those things will be, but those things will come all the way from the top of the business right the way down into every single individual person's key performance indicator for that year. Basically, do you get a bonus based on how sustainable you are? And are they need to be incentivized with rewards or financial gains, um, tax-free waste, and etc. Thank you very much. Next question, how do you differentiate your product when you can, what you currently use to ensure product performance, reliability and functionality? I can only speak from my experience. When, when we started the journey, we, we said we do certain things and we have some magic sauce. Um, we, we partner with Crownfield University and, we, and with big third party well-known institutions to sort of verify that what we say actually does exist. And so, you know, like we're partnering with, with BSI, you know, we, we believe that we offer the best in class of what we do. The customer can't take my word for it. He needs to lead to somebody that he trusts. So that would be the BSI, it could be Crownfield, it could be Cambridge. And a lot of the big universities actually really wanted to get involved in, in pulling this subject matter right into the centre of the, of the DNA. Um, so the sustainability themes within Exeter, there's a, re, there's a reman and circularity piece. Obviously, you've got the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, and going back to there are there are other people outside of your own organisation that can qualify what you do as being uh, above standard. Yeah, I just add, add on to uh, what Steve said. Navigation to independent standards will help, but also pointing out to people that a lot of the the refurb items are actually proven to be safer than uh, new equipment placed in the market because I mentioned earlier that. Electronic equipment has a mean time to failure of about three months when new, so a reused product is less likely to fail. But also having a reissued product that we've run through, particularly if we're involved with IT, you can buy software packages that will test the function of all the components and activities. So you can reassure people that the equipment has been tested and is as good as new. Thank you very much. I'm conscious of time, so let's take one more question. Um, do you think implementation of quality management systems is sufficient to provide the quality of the product? Yeah, I mean, quality management systems have a place in product quality and um, product assurance, but they're not the, they're not the be all and end all of it. Um, I mean, in terms of manufacturing and remanufacturing, um, quality management certainly sets out a lot of um, best practices around um, you know, are things being done properly? Are things being done uh, according to established processes? Um, so they certainly play a part. Um, I, I would say a quality management system on its own doesn't tell you necessarily that you're, you know, it, it's a good product, but it can tell you a lot about the business. It can tell you a lot about um, the implementation of, say, best practice and um, certain other things, but it, it wouldn't stand on its own, I don't believe. Thank you very much. I think that's all what we had time for today. So I would like to thank, I'd like to thank all our panelists for their time and great insight to the industry. Uh, thank you to all our attendees for engagement and active participation. I hope you found our discussion as informative as I did. And before I close, I would like to remind you that we have dedicated email address that you can use to contact us. 
or any of our panelists at the BSI events at bsigroup.com. We'll pass on any messages to the relevant person. Thank you again for your time and hope to see you attending our events soon. Thank you very much. Goodbye.